two psychiatrists rapping about our lives and work. This podcast is not intended to be medical advice. Any stories we use have been altered to protect identities and sensitive information. This is intended for entertainment purposes only. You know it! Ow! Welcome to the Good Shrinks Podcast. We're two psychiatrists talking about our lives, work, and everything in between. And if you like us and what we're talking about, please don't forget to subscribe or follow us on Instagram. That's right. So far, we have no followers. (laughs) (laughs) So please. Bust out the gate. <laughs> but it's a work in progress. It is. We're learning. We're 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 learning as we go. So it's been really an interesting time, don't you think? It has been a journey. Podcasting <laughs> has been a process. Let me tell you all, C has been doing the lion's share of the editing. He is awesome. He's wonderful. <laughs> he is able to do all this stuff. You've been learning a lot. Yeah. Especially the editing process. But you know, no joke. T, you bring the voice, you bring <laughs> the inner beauty and the outer beauty, okay? Well, I... See, don't set people up now. I'm, I'm bringing the face for radio, okay? <laughs> that is a lie. A bald face lie. Very attractive. Oh, well, so, you know, one thing I will say is I was looking at different podcasts to see what's kind of really taken off in mental health. Yeah. You know what we're competing against, T? What? The top-rated podcast this week, they're interviewing Michelle Obama. Come on. Like, how do we get on that level? <laughs> I mean, we just have to put it out there, right? we got to yeah. claim it. So who else would we like to interview? Like, how can we top Michelle Obama? Like, what do you think? Hmm. There, there really is no topping Michelle Obama. There's one person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell us, see? Brittany Jean Spears. Jean, wow, yes. you brought that. I'm bringing her middle name. Jean, <laughs> if you hear this, you better come on our podcast. I mean, there's really no other option at this point. <laughs> She's just going to have to bite the bullet and come on. Yes, Brittany, if you want to talk to two psychiatrists, we are putting it out into the ethos, okay? Right now, we're averaging like you know a good like tens of views, so <laughs> we're ready for you. <laughs> tens of views. I mean, that's more than we had last week. You're right. right. No, I'm <laughs> when we were we weren't on the air so this has definitely been it's been fun though i really enjoyed so far and kind of joking about this kind of stuff i remember in medical school when i first started like everyone kind of had an interesting fact you know that you Mm -hmm. a factoid you tell about yourself and so i don't know why i decided to like jokingly start telling people like i was john stamos's third cousin (laughs) okay and so i mean i can kind of I mean, we're both Greek, right? And so I was like, just, it's Stamos. It's full house. He's yeah. the man. But even before that, General Hospital. Oh. And so the thing is, is like literally I got people to buy into it so much. Like I would walk into class and, and some of my med student friends would be like, Stamos. <laughs> it was really funny. It was wow. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is a thought that you had that maybe wasn't true. <laughs> And so what do we call that, class? <laughs> <laughs> um, are we referring to some psychosis maybe? Is that what we're referring to? Are you saying I was are you saying I was delusional that I thought I'm I was not related? Anything, see, you told the story. <laughs> I'm just pointing out things that it could be. I now have a new diagnosis. I'm officially delusional, but <laughs> No, that's a great story. T, do you have any like med school stories or anything like that? About delusions? (laughs) (laughs) 
No, not really. No one's ever compared you to a celebrity or anything. Oh, yes. Who's yours? So I had a, a few. One was when I was in college, it was Oprah Winfrey. What? I do not see that. And I respect Oprah Winfrey, uh, but I, I didn't necessarily, you know, as a 20-year-old <laughs> to... Be called Oprah? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved that. I loved Oprah and, and everything that she stood for, but it's just, you know, you're already trying to figure out who you are as a person, your identity, and... When people just peg you in one category already, it can be hard to kind of break out of that. But more recently, I, people have been comparing me to Jill Scott. Oh, I can see that a little bit. I think it's the hair. It's the hair. <laughs> and you have like the vibe, like the jazzy I vibe. I wish I had the voice. Mm. I mean, <laughs> come on. That woman is awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, going back to Oprah, I mean, she was the queen of daytime TV, so... I'm definitely going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> I will take that. You know, she's she is amazing. She did amazing work really in mental health. She helped a lot of people realize things about themselves. And she was always very honest about her own journey and what she's gone through and learned. And her association with Maya Angelou was always mm-hmm. um, so uplifting and encouraging. So, I mean, she's definitely like, I mean, who does not want to be Oprah? Yeah, right. <laughs> One day, if I ever have like an outpatient practice, I'll just walk into the ro- into the waiting room and be like, "You get some Seroquel. You get some Seroquel. You get some Seroquel." <laughs> just throw it out there. Everyone's like, "Yeah." <laughs> no one would say yeah for Seroquel. They want other things, but that's besides the point. <laughs> they don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't care. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think those kind of things are funny, and I think you know, living in our delusion may be a good topic. Uh, for this podcast would be psychosis and this is our podcast so we can talk as little or as much about it as we want (laughs) (laughs) i've just had some interesting cases recently you know we think about psychosis people can lose touch with reality they don't know their thoughts they may not know if they're real really happening if there are things going on they may see things or hear things because you can have Different parts of psychosis, there's hallucinations, which are where you actually perceive things differently in any of your sensations so, or mm-hmm. any of your senses. You could have visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, where you're hearing things, olfactory hallucinations, where you're smelling things, mm-hmm. um, tactile hallucinations. And then there are delusions, which are thoughts that you believe something is you know, really happening, like, oh my gosh, the government's after me, I'm being chased by these blue cars everywhere I go. You know, you believe some specific thing and it's hard to shake it. So I had this one patient and she was so interesting. She had this idea that her body sensations were giving her messages. Oh, interesting. So she might feel like if I burp a certain way and if the burp comes up on the left side of my throat, then everything that I'm doing at the time is right. Mm. If the burp comes from the right side of my throat, Hmm. everything that I'm doing at the moment is wrong. And Mm. so she was just operating that whole particular time period. I think it was a a couple of days where she would really be paying attention to her GI tract, you know, what is going on. And that would give her information about, and this is somebody that was, uh, she's a student. She is going to graduate school and she's doing pretty well. She's about to study for some board exams. So, um, so pretty high functioning yeah, overall. But still dealing with this particular delusion and had some other kind of 
religious delusions, mm. believing that the devil was after her and was trying to give her messages that way too. So she was she was definitely dealing with a lot. And I think you bring up a component of like magical thinking, right? And that's mm-hmm. a big part of psychosis. If this happens, then it's associated with this, right? Mm-hmm. And I think There's we a all meaning, a, symbolism. a meaning, yeah, mm-hmm. and a symbolism to it. And I, I think in some degree that can be even just with anxiety, right? Some people have a lot of like OCD symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's like if I don't engage in this behavior, this might happen to me. And, you know, there's kind of a association even between like, let's say someone with a psychotic disorder and anxiety and OCD, there can be a, a comorbidity between the two. That, that's something that is happening with that person that you're talking about. I think psychosis is so interesting because first of all, what is going on in your brain? Mm-hmm. Like you, you are believing that your burp is telling you what to do with your life. Yeah. I just feel like it's it's really interesting how our brains work and how we come up with the decisions that we do. Yeah, you know what's real and what's not real. That's a term I've heard before: a salience, kind of our perspective of the world and things that we deem important and not important. And you know, even really in mental health, when describing something like schizophrenia, mm-hmm. which is a primary thought disorder, and those individuals have persistent psychosis after a period of six months, mm-hmm. it's like they're they almost interpret signals and and gain a salience towards almost non-important stimuli. Mm-hmm. It can be something small, like you're mentioning the burp, like. Some person may burp, like we may burp and not think twice about it, but to them it creates such a significance. And that's like kind of a big part of psychosis yeah. is really having a gravity to mm-hmm. small situations. And I really like sympathize for people like that because that would be a scary way to live, right? Everything is so powerful or meaningful mm-hmm. or overwhelming, potentially. And, you know, that's an example of someone with true psychosis. Like we see that as psychiatrists, like we know, like this is like the real deal. Mm-hmm. People can have psychosis for like many different kinds of different disorders. You know, like for UT, off the top of your head, like what are like the three main reasons you think you see someone with psychosis most often? So I think one of the ways that I see people, and and again, remember, we're in the emergency room. We're just seeing somebody, they're rolling up in an ambulance or the family members bringing them in and they are talking about hearing voices. So this might be the first time that they've ever seen anybody about it. So I have to be thinking about a couple things. One is, is this drugs? Because drugs, when you're intoxicated on drugs or when you're coming off drugs, you can hallucinate, you can have psychotic symptoms. Is this a person who's, this is their first break? Clues to that will be from the collateral, from the family, if the patient can't tell me themselves what's going on. I'll be looking back through the chart to see have they ever presented this way before. And then there are medical conditions that can happen that can make you have psychotic symptoms. If you, let's say, get put on a steroid because you had back spasms, you know, steroids can make you have disconnections with reality or mm-hmm. mood swings. So... Psychosis is like fever. You know, mm-hmm. lots of things can cause a fever. Yes. So uh, lots of things can cause a psychotic break. And so that's part of our job is to try to be a detective. Yeah. And figure out which lane does it seem like it's most likely coming from. I think in crisis situations for me, just I think really substances, right? Mm-hmm. Drugs are bad. <laughs> um, they're not good. 
I mean, there's so many individuals that we see who even little things like marijuana, it's like you cannot afford to smoke marijuana. Your brain is so susceptible to becoming psychotic. And really think about everyone. What is a main symptom of marijuana? You get paranoid. Mm-hmm. So it really can happen to most people. Mm-hmm. And so you have these individuals. Especially if you are vulnerable you to vul- that. Yeah. If you have family history of psychosis, you have to be very, very careful. And You know, I have those conversations all the time with individuals and you can kind of sense whether they have, they have the awareness or insight or they're like, whatever, brah, I'm going to, you know, use my marijuana. And something I've started doing kind of later in my career is I always kind of preface if the marijuana is helping you, why are you talking to me? Why are you talking to a psychiatrist? <laughs> Because clearly it's not working. <laughs> like, I say that all the time. <laughs> and they kind of sometimes it will jar them because you have to almost <laughs> surprise them in a way if they don't have the awareness. It's like, look, you know, your family's worried about you. Like, we're worried about you. So what do we do when we see somebody that's in that psychotic crisis? What what do you do, see? Um, typically they will need to be admitted to reconstitute and to improve because you have to kind of show is this related to substances or is it something else and typically if they rapidly improve then you get an idea over a course of a day or two right typically is we really have to observe someone like that if if you're disorganized to that point you meet criteria not safe you're not safe and so that's something that we often do T, you're probably, you're aware of this, right? Between males and females, there's a difference of when psychosis may show or propagate. Like for you, like what ages would you say you typically see someone have a, a break or a, a psychotic episode? If it's true, like schizophrenia, mm-hmm. then you're looking at 18 to 21, sort of in that young adult, you know, you're just leaving adolescence. You might have just gone to college and then, you know, suddenly things start breaking down. For females... So let me ask you to see, what do you think? What are the ages that you usually look at? Uh, Females tend to develop it a little bit later. I guess maybe female brains are a little bit more resilient. It hangs on a little bit longer per se. So it tends to be more in like their mid-20s, sometimes late-20s even. Um, We do see individuals that develop like first psychosis later in life, but that really gives us an indication it's something else or attributed to something else. Having those conversations, those are the toughest conversations when you go to a family member and especially if it's someone that's like let's say excelled in high school made a scholarship to college and then all of a sudden they're at college and they're not cleaning the room showering not caring for themselves and you see that decline those are the kind of the toughest conversations we have because um, you do have to you know in a sense raise awareness with the family if this is a primary thought disorder or schizophrenia it may be more of a long-term thing and families are used to a family member acting and maintaining a certain level of functioning. And so there's a loss there and those are tough conversations. It's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. It is a real tragedy. The, the loss of function in this person that had such potential, not to say that they can't get back to doing something, but certainly there, there is a loss. Yeah. Um, and especially if there's resistance to hearing that news and to doing something about it, because the research shows that the sooner that you get into treatment for these kind of disorders, the better your prognosis. So mm. the sooner you get the medicine started, the sooner you, you know, start to see improvement. And that, because psychosis is something that is happening to your brain, it's yeah. an active process. So the medicine helps to treat to reduce all of that activity that's going on. Yeah, it's neuroprotective. Right. It's definitely something that we want to get people 
to be aware that there are treatments and you, you know, you can have a better prognosis. I think that's completely accurate. Like you have to get the person to engage in treatment as soon as possible. And it does improve their quality of life long term. Mm-hmm. Um, Ignoring it will not help. No, yeah. it can lead to even more tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we definitely want people, the sooner they can get in and get seen and realize what's going on, the better that the better chances they have. You know, do you ever wonder, too, like with psychosis, it seems like everything always gravitates when someone's paranoid or losing some touch with reality. It's always similar themes. It's always the government is after me. It's a conspiracy. It's something to do with religion. I'm like, you know, okay, this is just me. I'm like, can someone like throw me something a little different? That is true. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> but somatic. So you could have somatic delusions. Exactly. Like beliefs about your body. Something's not right. Or mm-hmm. parasites. I see that a lot. People believe in that they are infested with parasites. Can't you see this little this little scratch on me right here? And, and there's nothing there. Like literally. I'm looking. Like Let, let's pull up your sleeve. Let's take a look. Look at all these holes in my skin. And there's mm-hmm. literally nothing there. That's, that's something our dermatology friends know quite a bit about is it's something called delusional parasitosis. Parasitosis. Yep, where people just sort of think there's bugs infested and living underneath their skin and they will scratch themselves like crazy or yeah. they will really do what they can to get these bugs out of their skin. They'll visit multiple dermatologists before they ever see any form of a psychiatrist. And I mean, We've seen people that have dug into their skin looking for microchips. That's mm-hmm. the other thing, that something was implanted and they have dug it into their skin to find... Yeah, we've definitely had patients that had to be admitted to medical hospitals because of infections they get from these digging things that they do to their skin. Yeah, there's all kinds of psychosis. T for you, because it can be involved with many different disorders, right? Let's say depression, bipolar disorder, um, maybe even personality components can sometimes have psychotic features. Do you have you noticed like just through your experience the difference in the way those psychoses can present? Well, you know, there's sometimes there's like tricks because sometimes people come in and like with our malingering episode, we talked about people who come in with secondary ideas of what they want to get out of coming to the hospital Mm -hmm. Um, and so that they will make up symptoms. And so there are little tricks that you learn along the way to kind of help you determine is somebody lying about this or is this, this really going on? I think ones that are really bizarre, mm-hmm. things that don't make, it's not just the government's coming after me. No, they've drilled a hole in my ceiling. They're coming down through the vents. You can see me through x-rays. The more bizarre it is, I think that lends to more truth. I think when there are people that, let's say they speak another language, that English is not their first language, people who have hallucinations tend to have hallucinations in their native language. So if they're telling you that the voices are talking to them in English, but they're Russian or German, that's probably not true. Plus their affect, how they're sitting there and looking at you. Mm -hmm. If you are truly hearing voices, like while I'm talking to you, you're not really hearing what I'm saying because you're trying to listen to what the voices say. So you may what we call respond to internal stimuli, which means you're paying attention to what's going on inside of you. So you might be looking around the room, looking over your shoulder. You may have to ask me to repeat the question because you didn't hear me. Or you're mumbling to yourself because you're responding to what the voices are asking you or telling you. 
So there's physical symptoms or physical signs that we can see in people that lend credence to their claims that they're hearing voices or seeing things based on their body act, body language. I think that's a good point is these patients are very paranoid, right? And so sometimes you do have to build trust before they'll really disclose what they're experiencing. They really try to hide it. It's almost the opposite of what you might expect. I mean, they'll come in and try and act like they're completely composed and you just see they're barely hanging together. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, you know, it can even be a little bit subtle. Like after a while, they're like, you know, yeah, I do think that my food is poisoned or tampered with or my medication is going to poison me. And then like you start getting kind of the underlying psychosis will come out and, and really comes with a little bit of trust because these individuals, a lot of the times they are naturally going to be distrusting because there's such a, they're going through such an experience. And they may have that little kernel of insight that what I'm thinking and feeling is different. Mm -hmm. And so I better not say what I'm really thinking or feeling because somebody might do something to me or take me away. You know, so people are naturally guarded. They don't want to come across, you know, nobody wants to come across as that they're hearing and feeling and seeing things that you're not. Yeah. So it sort of behooves them to like keep their cards, you know, close to the vest until they figure out what's really going on here. Yeah. I mean, some of the most pleasant conversations I've had with someone psychotic and they just like try to relate with me in any way. Like, yo, you like this man or you like this? And you can tell they're trying to hold it together. It's it's sweet in a way. It's sad, but it's sweet, you know? And then you have the individuals you're bringing up, like let's say someone's faking psychosis and we know it. And they're like, I'm hearing voices. I need a Texas peanut butter jelly sandwich. Or I need a Texas Roadhouse steak. Or I need some butter with my biscuits. It's like, okay, well, we we know what's going on. I just think through our experience through over time, you really get a flavor of what type of psychosis someone has. Um, Someone who's manic can, if they're extremely manic, they can become psychotic. And they almost just create these weird associations. Like it's like, oh, you know, we brought up Michelle Obama earlier. It could be like, oh, there's Michelle Obama. She's wearing purple. That's royal she's royalty i'm royalty and then they'll just kind of go into this weird association so that's like almost like a manic psychosis Mm -hmm. and then you have individuals that it could even be dementia there's a form of dementia called louis body and all they really will mention is seeing like small people small animals so you can be in the room and they're like yeah there's like a little bunny over there hopping around or there's a cat and you're like what But again, sometimes we, we do admit people that we're not sure what is going on till we because we get observations not just from what they tell us, how they behave in certain situations. So if you're admitted, you're going to have opportunities to interact with other patients, interact with staff, other nurses, other doctors, technicians. So there'll be a, a variety of people that you'll be able to interact with that we'll be able to get kind of data from like how is this person with other people they told us that all they do all day is hear these voices and see things but if they're sitting in the day room watching tv having a pleasant conversation with the next person you know it doesn't line up so we are looking for inconsistencies in what people are telling us we're looking for or evidence to support what it is that they're saying so if they are saying that they're hearing voices all the time and we see them wanting to stay alone in their room, Mm -hmm. they're mumbling to themselves, or they're doing any kind of repetitive thing. Anything that they're doing that kind of gives us a clue that something is going on, that they're right, we need to watch them a little bit longer. 
time is kind of the biggest equalizer, right? Like we observe you long enough, we will kind of know what's going on. And it's kind of worked both ways. I've had individuals I thought were really psychotic and then realized it was maybe more of a personality component or could be something else. And then there's individuals that I'm like are not psychotic and then they just completely unravel. unravel. And you're like, wow, okay. So again, like collateral is a big part of that, talking to family. And I don't know about for you, T, but like sometimes that's the hardest thing is, you know, you have some individuals who may have a predisposition to becoming psychotic and you almost never see them that way when you evaluate them. But then you talk to family and they give you these like extravagant stories. I mean, they could be busting out windows at home, aggressive, talking to themselves. And then you try to piece together. Is this maybe underlying substances? Are they psychotic? And there's other things that really increase what's called dopamine in the brain methamphetamine, cocaine, all of those stimulants in general drive up dopamine levels very high. And I think that's hard for us as well when we're treating individuals who will have difficulty really stopping this use and a family member brings them in and it's like they want a little touch of a medication to completely counteract these drugs that they're taking on the street. And it's like, you know, that's, that's not really possible. And it's, it's an investigation. You know, the interesting part of our job is kind of doing that. Yeah, that's one of the gifts that we have. We can watch people and get that input. We have time, the luxury of time, to get those questions answered. Because again, our job is not necessarily to cure or even to diagnose people. It's to make sure that they're safe. You know, it is good to get all that information. Generally, that comes from more of the inpatient you know, service if they need to stay longer. But we're just trying to determine initially what the safety issue is, if there is a safety issue. Yeah, their level of severity. You know, from your perspective, T, do you feel like schizophrenia, do you feel like is it overdiagnosed from what you see? I think the layperson comes in. I definitely have people come in and say, oh, yeah, I have schizophrenia and bipolar. I hear that all the time. All the time. And, you know, technically you cannot. Yeah. (laughs) They exclude each other if you Mm. look at the criteria. But you can have aspects of both of those, right? So with bipolar, you're looking more at a mood component. So you're depressed or you're manic. With schizophrenia, you, you definitely see just more of the thought disorder part. They might have delusions or hallucinations. They may be just disorganized. They can't, like you said, put a sentence together or their behaviors are so bizarre. So I think schizophrenia probably is the king, like the champion of psychotic disorders. Yes. It's probably the most researched mm-hmm. of all of the psychotic disorders. But again, it comes down to those, those criteria. And so duration of symptoms is important. So we can see somebody that is acutely psychotic, no other episodes in their life, and they've only been psychotic for two or three days. So is that schizophrenia? No, because it has to have been at least six months that they've had these persistent psychotic symptoms. So yeah, all of these diagnoses that we make, some people feel like we're pulling them out of thin air, but Mm. they really are based on whether this person meets these criteria. So we've got to ask these questions about how long they've been having symptoms to get a sense of whether they have you know, whatever type of thought disorder. And to piggyback off that, if someone has like a brief psychotic episode, like you're saying, that's kind of what it's called. It's mm-hmm. a brief psychotic episode. And that can be, I think, characterized up to 30 days, right? And then 30 days or less. Yeah. And then from one month to six months, if you are having some underlying psychosis, then it's schizophreniform disorder, which I kind of just like that name, like mm-hmm. schizophreniform. I don't know. It's kind of like rolls off the tongue. Um, it does not. It really doesn't, but... 
it <laughs> does. Is it is a cool word. And then schizophrenia is like at greater than six months. And so that's kind of how we kind of characterize the duration of psychosis. And some individuals do have a brief psychotic episode. And then, I mean, it's so interesting what stress does to the body. Some people have like an acute stress reaction. It can be maybe for indications you're not even really sure. And then they seem really psychotic and then they'll recover. And you're like, wow, like that was interesting. But it's more concerning, right? If it's more prolonged or lasts longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I've had multiple cases of this where I've had really high functioning people taking super high doses of Adderall. Friends bring them in concern because, you know, Adderall is an amphetamine. uh, And in a sense, you can take high, high doses and it will act similar to methamphetamine from that regard. And these people sometimes are in such denial, like, oh, I'm not... I'm not having any problems and they're just so paranoid they can't function at work. It's like, no, you were worried people were following you around the department store. That's an issue. Even getting to that realization, like from our perspective of our job, it's like you don't notice that right away. It takes a little bit of time and then talking to family and then kind of looking at the medications that are prescribed. And then you're like, this is definitely contributing. So that can be interesting, I guess. So sometimes it's like as we're talking to people, we're getting the information, they're answering our questions, we're getting an idea of how they're answering the questions. Because remember, it's the thought process too, like how they answer the questions and what they're saying. So we're looking at all of those things. We're getting the information from the family. We get the collateral. So it's almost like we sort of build this case and then we have to present it to the patient. So a lot of times those conversations at the end, that's what we're doing is like we're putting, you know, we're putting all these pieces together and, you know, grandma said this about how you're behaving. You said this about how you're behaving. And then the people at work, you know, they're saying that they're noticing some changes in your performance. So when we look at all of these things, so it's almost like it's better than, you know, somebody just coming in and saying, oh, we think you have schizophrenia. No. No. We share what the information is that we're getting, and this suggests or it looks like we're moving in this direction. And so we have treatments for that. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about what we can do to try to get you back on track. Figuring out what people's dreams are, like if they're coming from college and they've had this um, breakdown or whatever at school, and then they're coming back home. But what can we do to get you back on the road of academic? Is that what you still want to do? So again, being present with people, figuring out what their goals are, and trying to be with them on that. Not so much what our agenda is to get them treated, but what it is that they want. That will build rapport, and that will hopefully help them buy into continuing treatment after they leave our emergency room. Yeah, absolutely. And those can be kind of the toughest conversations. T, I feel like, did you have that conversation with yourself when you started <laughs> having like, psychosis? I think, we, I think we established that you were delusional <laughs> with the whole Stamos thing. Um, me and him are having dinner tomorrow, okay? So okay. I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to have to go back to the emergency room right now. <laughs> But no, those are tough situations. And um, psychosis is interesting because I feel like as psychiatrists, we do have a lot of medications that can be helpful. And in a weird, I don't want to say in a way we enjoy treating it, but we can see results. It is something, right. It's yeah. faster. It works a little bit quicker. Yeah. And something, you know, something else to mention is with schizophrenia, you know, it's not just the 
voices, the delusions. You know, sometimes they think the radio or TV may be sending them specific messages. It's also what's called the negative symptoms. I mean, they have almost like a lack of speech, a lack of motivation, a very dull, flat affect. That just means like basically it just seems like there's no expression on their face. Um, there, there can be, they can seem very withdrawn. And so all of that combined with the active symptoms of hallucinations and other things tied together it gives you a perspective that that's what's going on and you know i think sometimes in other forms of psychosis you don't get so much like the withdrawn nature that's more when you're dealing with a, a mm-hmm. primary thought disorder or schizophrenia agreed it's the hardest to treat mm-hmm. the negative symptoms of sch- there's there's just like this whole world of research out there now for you know, the cognitive aspects too, you know, yeah. those negative symptoms of schizophrenia, you know, it also can affect their cognitive processes, get slower, their memory, you know, the concentration gets impaired. And I feel like that's a lot of the newer medications. Now they're trying more and more to target those negative symptoms right. and that's some have variable that. effect. It's definitely harder to treat. Hopefully we get there, but we really do kind of focus more on the positive symptoms when we treat. You know, something with treating schizophrenia, that is the, the hardest part is sort of the, the buy-in, I guess, in a sense. You know, hopefully they have a support system, but getting them to consistently take those medications, there are side effects. And so sometimes they feel like they don't need them or they don't really give them a lot of benefit. That can be tough, right? Um, so it's really important that they do have that support system, whether it's an ACT team, which is like basically like a community community integration team that will help with mental health perspective of things or, you know, family um, or some other support system to help them. Mm-hmm. Kind of off topic, but I actually had a close childhood friend. This was like now a few years ago and I had not got a call from this person in forever. And they called me and they were like, basically started talking and I had some trouble understanding them and they started telling me how they were hearing their neighbors through their wall at their apartment and I was like no (laughs) I was like oh no you never know when that can happen I'm trying to think if I have any shareable stories I mean I definitely had like an uncle who had schizoaffective disorder (laughs) he he would come into the hospital every you know few months or so because he was very non-compliant and I would see him and you could always tell when he's doing well (laughs) when he's on his medicine and when he's not and he so he he was not a close family member (laughs) he's my uncle but he was like on my like a step uncle okay so I didn't grow up with him Mm -hmm. I would see him at some family gatherings but not was he kind of flat? Like, would he have trouble interacting? He would get, no, he had a lot of positive symptoms. Okay. So he would get very agitated, very angry, belligerent, cursing, yelling, threatening. So he would be dragged in. And then within like the three or four days that it takes for his medicine to kick in, he was like, oh, hi. And he would, he would see me on the unit sometimes when I, or see me like in the cafeteria or something like that. And he would be Reverend Doctor, and he'd say my last name. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my niece over there, Reverend Doctor. Blah blah blah. Um, and, I like uh, how you're a Reverend and a Doctor. I know, <laughs> like, though, again, hyper religious. Like, uh-huh. That is definitely a theme it's with manic people. Doctor T is a Reverend and a Doctor. And a doctor. <laughs> she got you on all sides, okay? <laughs> yeah, he was he was a trip. One other case I just want to bring up that I thought it sticks in my mind a little bit is there was someone that came after his church tried to perform a exorcism. Oh my goodness. And 
when I evaluated him, the only thing he was doing was growling, and it seemed very scary. Yeah. And you know, look, there are things that happen in this universe. But I, I was, you know, obviously, I, I was pro- pro- professional. I was professional, and like I, you know, I understand they they did from their cultural background did what they had to do. But I was like, so that didn't work. So now you want me to give him some how doll? Okay, I see how this is. It was kind of just interesting. It was like such a severe presentation. And then I thought, is he acting this way because he's exposed to so much cultural phenomenon of expecting to sort of be demonic that he's presenting that way? It was just so interesting. It was the one time I almost had goosebumps being in the room for too long. I feel like some of the most meaningful conversations that I have Mm -hmm. are spiritual conversations I have with my patients. It's uncanny how often it comes up. And sometimes, you know, I I am a spiritual person. I do believe that we are on a journey and and that there are reasons why we meet the people that we do. Hmm. So, A little manifest destiny. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, So talking to people about, you know, their journey and kind of what they're learning, that's been a very meaningful part of my job. Like I said, it's uncanny how much, how often it comes up. It seems like times that is the reason that they came that day. It is interesting like how even in like different cultures, psychosis or delusions can kind of manifest in what is very significant for that culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, sa- whole, yeah, categories. Yeah. Those. Like South, you can look up many different kinds of delusions, you know, in like Southeast Asia, people can have delusions that they're actually already dead or that their body's dead, but they're not. Um, capgrass delusions, which is basically the per- someone you know has been replaced by an imposter, which is like really kind of interesting. Um, it's not quite psychosis, but there's a personality disorder similar to schizophrenia. It's a schizotypal personality. T, do you kind of know a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting personality disorder. It's not something we see a lot, but it has to do with a person that has a lot of magical beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, they might feel or they might be described as a little, this is the scientific word for it, kooky. They just have kind of like this odd personality. So they might believe things are just sort of magically connected. Mm-hmm. They might go to their house and they have... I'm trying to think of a, a movie or something that might have like a picture of what a person with schizotypal house might look well, like. They say a lot of people with schizotypal, like they tend to be like the clairvoyants, the psychics, like the really hardcore conspiracy like theorists. Like they just have really like fixed beliefs. And they're kind of the, the person you think of like in the basement in their house that never leaves and really is involved in these kind of things. So, mm-hmm. But you know, like you imagine you go in, they probably have like beads. Mm, you know, the whole the thing. Wall, you know, things like coming down from the ceiling. But um they're very interesting to talk to. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a never boring conversation, that's for sure. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting. It's not quite, they're not, qu- there's no rule of psychosis. Like, there's no hallucinations or true paranoia. It's more just kind of peculiar thinking. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go into, you know, how much of this is society's expectations of a person to normalize and be be a part of right. society, right? So they're some people just, just have eccentric. eccentric, eccentric beliefs. As long as they're able to function, that's kind of what we say in mental health. And it, it's not necessarily pathological or a concern. Right. Yeah, psychosis is definitely, it's interesting because when you see it, it's very, it's like a real thing that you're dealing with. You're not trying to figure out what's going on it's there in front of you and you now you have to deal with it and it's treatable quickly we can see some results with these medicines the effects can be very rapid 
Well, I hope that you're having a good week and that you're going to have a good weekend. See? You too, T. You know, I expect by next week we'll have Brittany on with us. So. <laughs> Duluth. <laughs> No, prove me wrong. Come on, Brittany. <laughs> show us what's Come up. Come show us what's up. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye.